You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I am your host, Andy Hagens, and today we're talking about technology. Uh, how privately financed, privately owned businesses can leverage technology to build enterprise value. Very excited that joining me today is Brian Tebow, my longtime friend and also co-founder at Dev Refactory, and he is himself a technology expert in his own right. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Andy. So to set the table, tell us about Dev Refactory and, and where you're working now, your current project. Sure. Yeah. So uh, we started Devry Factory. Me and a, a couple partners actually started Devry Factory in 2020. Um, and basically, we had um, from a prior life, you know, known some some people at, at some enterprise companies, right? And we're able to kind of um, sell our our services there as as smart guys, right? Um, and those services are web applications, um, just consulting more or less business solutions to problems. Um, and as that kind of grew, um, we decided to start to shift into the staff augmentation model, right? Meaning um, I want to place people at these large companies to deliver value, right? Because there's only one of me, there's only one other of the other guys and our, our time is um, is limited. So uh, trying to move kind of into that staff augmentation model, upcharge on um, on that staff and then deliver projects. So that's, uh, and, and when I say projects, I mean um, applications, right? Web, web-based application technology. Understood. And and so, you know, you're talking about really enterprise level software, enterprise level development, enterprise level technology. And what's interesting to me, and we're going to kind of get into private equity and, you know, bootstrap companies, privately owned companies, but whether we're talking about a publicly traded corporation uh, or a tiny little bootstrap company, everything in between, and I know you work more with that enterprise level, but outside of literally Google, or maybe one or two other companies. I feel like everyone's technology is a mess. Everyone's technology situation. It's just the impression I have, <laughs> you know, maybe it's a sign of this different startups I've been involved with, but it just seems like, it seems like everybody has such problems getting the team in place. And it's like, it's more like a, a, a headache almost, or a problem. Like it's an opportunity, but most companies I interface with, it's like, there's always a technology problem like is is do you think that's fair from the business standpoint to describe it that way yeah not only fair i think that's more than accurate right um so yeah what we see is uh everywhere technologies is traditionally and today looked at like a a cost center or a money pit right it's something that i have to do to keep the trains running on time so i dump a bunch of money into this um, which is really not the right way to look at it. The, the right, you know, I mean, you see what happened with, um, you know, as of uh, today, February 21st, I think two months ago, a month ago, Southwest uh, systems crashed for one day and they've lost billions and billions of dollars because of it, right? Um, so it just can't be an afterthought anymore. But um, unfortunately, you're right. It is mostly an afterthought. And, um, 
and you know CEOs particularly that aren't tech savvy just look at it like they're they're dumping money into it and and to your point everybody has a problem right and, and that's probably because um it's like custom you know the, the best probably analogy is custom home building right there's just not kind of a cookie cutter approach it's not um technology isn't a hard and fast engineering discipline like maybe mechanical engineering building a car that's pretty well defined right uh this input produces this output um this is a lot more art than it is science and um and because of that, it takes good artists, right? And there's only so many of those to be had. So, well, it's funny, Brian. You mentioned custom home builder, and I'm thinking, okay, if someone's building me a custom home, whether they're designing it or physically nailing it together, and there's probably analogies for both of those things in technology. But either way, I'm like, well, obviously, I want to hire the best talent to be designing my home and the best talent to be building my home. The last thing I want to do is use the cut rate architect and the cut rate general contractor and the cut rate guy who, you know, puts the ceiling on, is the ceiling going to cave in while I'm asleep? But with technology, kind of to your point, to that analogy, with technology, if you look at it at a cost center, well, we're just going to build to a cost. What's the cheapest possible building, you know, that we can build to use this yeah. metaphor. And then don't be surprised when the roof starts leaking, right? Yeah, that's, you know, Unfortunately, that's just par for the course, right? Um, you know, I think what, what I've seen is people view it as throw more bodies at it, right? Throw more guys at it that can swing a hammer and pound the nail. And and that's not really what this is, right? And you just end up, you know, kind of the, the um, term of art is technical debt, right? Um, you make poor decisions in the short term that ultimately down the road creates you 10 times as much problems that you have to clean up later. Um, well, let's, uh, and let's actually define that really quick. And I think you actually brought me onto this concept, Brian, I don't know that you invented it, but you, you introduced it to me and I've heard it other places since then, this concept of technical debt. And then it's like every company incurs debt, right? It could be financial debt, administrative debt, technical debt. So we're going to talk about VC funded versus private equity funded versus bootstrapped. But for instance, you know, a, a VC backed company or a company that raises a ton of capital, maybe they don't have much technical debt because they're able to go essentially hire the, you know, the best, the top 5% type software architects or developers or what have you. But then there's trade-offs for that. That's literally very expensive, right? So it's like they're incurring maybe financial debt or other, you know, or they're giving up a huge chunk of equity in their company to do that versus we're going to do this on the cheap, but we're going to incur technical debt. And at some point that debt comes due, right? It does. And, and you use the magic word, which is trade-off. Um, everything that, you know, we do in, in uh, this industry is, as well, I'm sure as your industry is, is a trade-off, right? It's a decision that is made to favor one uh, particular um route right and in the technical debt route we say that um, it should be a joint decision whether it's skilled guys or not skilled guys is sort of irrelevant in, in this um in this discussion because you know when you're taking on technical debt it should be a it should be a business decision that hey we want to move faster we want to prototype something uh we need to get this working now with the understanding that 
we have to fix it later, right? With a joint understanding that we have to fix it later. Oftentimes the business organization is lied to and, you know, and not um, clearly aware of that trade-off, right? So they think they're getting something really fast and then, you know, find out one, five, 10 years later that, um, you know, they have security problems, they have quality problems, they have maintenance problems, et cetera. So. Yeah, Brian, that reminds me uh, saying that I first heard from your dad, I believe, back back when I worked for him as a marketing intern, you know, fast, cheap and good, pick two out of three, right? And I think that certainly applies with technology. So, so your point is, if you're doing things on the cheap with technology, you're incurring technical debt, that can actually be totally okay. That can be a strategic decision as long as the CEO, as long as the business owner understands that's what they're doing and why that can be a perfectly valid decision absolutely um yeah we see you know uh, again to your point it is a strategic decision sometimes i mean you know to a large extent as a as a technologist i feel like this is um kind of a dig at me but a lot of technology is just throwaway. i mean let's be real with ourselves right um you know there's there's only one google there's only one netflix um a lot of technology just either doesn't make it or is so outdated in 10 years that start over or do something else anyway. So, um, so you mean like kind of the winner take all power law type of thing where it's like the truly best software that achieves the truly best product market fit or whatever, these Google type brands or Salesforce or, or whatever they tend to win. And, and the third, fourth, 12th, 13th through thousandth best thing in the category tends to die. So that's, is that, is that yeah, what you co- Correct. Or, or something is just so outdated, right? Like maybe I had created some inventory system um, on a, a Windows desktop, right? And 10 years ago, and then, you know, now everything moves to the web. I mean, technology shifts so fast. It's completely different this year than it was last year. So, well, so that would that would vindicate taking on technical debt in a way, for right? Sure. For sure. Unless maybe you're um, you're a bank, you're a mm. um, I don't know enterprise kind of solution company. The that ambulance uh, software that that routes ambulances to the correct place, like that, needs to be sure pretty solid right? NASA's spaceship yeah. stuff you know yeah. needs to be solid secure all that right and, and maintained over the long term uh bank mainframes are still around it needs to be maintained over the long term um you know a startup that i'm uh trying out that's uh gym software right that may not make it over a 12-month period yeah let's roll the dice right let's move as fast as possible and get something out there so understood okay so we talked a little bit about the technical debt, you know, doing things on the on the, you know, doing things leanly. That's that's a strategic decision. But before we even get like best practices on the private side, privately owned businesses, why don't we kind of go to go to like an extreme here, which okay. is like let's say we have a VC backed company and let's even say that, you know, they do a seed round, they do a series A, like they get fully capitalized with tons of money. I mean, essentially Let's say you essentially have an unlimited budget and you're saying, we're going to build this the right way the first time to the degree. Of, I don't even know if that's possible, but let's we're going to build this as best as we can possibly build it from the get-go. What does that look like? 
Yeah, I think that, pro so yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, yeah, you're right. There probably is no doing it the right way. Again, it's more art than science. So I just, uh, you, you know, and another analogy, right? I, I have this all the time. The cable guy comes to my house and he, um, you know, immediately he's going to hook up a new TV, right? The first thing he does is says, who was the last guy that was here? They did a terrible <laughs> job, right? <laughs> I hear that almost every day. It's it's a lot of it's a matter of style and how you would do something or build it. Um, but 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 I but I am thinking fair. You're going to make mistakes. But if I just raise twenty million bucks for it for my VC backed company, I can at least go out. I would think and afford to hire the best people or or at least top ten percent. So I I, I don't know yes. what's what the going rate is for a software developer or whatever. But presuming the range is six figures to seven figure or whatever that range is, is, is it best practice to have fewer people at the very top end? Is that, is that better ROI? Yeah. A uh, great question. I, from my angle, it is because uh, bad people can end up costing you more than they making you make you in this scenario mm. um, from like uh, somebody that raised just $20 million, probably not because they're going to try to deploy as much as that capital as they can. And most likely it's going to be in talent, right? Talent acquisition. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a different scenario, right? Because their whole mission is to spend all that money, burn through it, get traction, uh, maybe at a loss, right? Uh, probably at a loss until their next round. So, um, so to some degree, it doesn't matter as much for them. And as far as, you know, Hey, I need just three guys that are awesome. Everybody has this idea of like a 10 X developer, right? It, again, I have yet to see that. Um, but you know, I guess, uh, maybe that's the difference, the VC versus the bootstrap guy. I would, I would opt for three guys that are just unbelievable versus, um, you know, a hundred guys that 10 of them are good. And, well, it sounds like you do. Well, Brian, that sounds like you do kind of believe in the 10x, you know, developer in a way. But also to kind of step back and talk to me like I'm a technology dummy, you yeah. know, like like that's a big leap of faith. Talk to me like I'm a tech dummy. What are those like really key hires, like kind of top down conceptually? Maybe I'm not even a software company, but there's going to be internal software, internal technology used in whatever it is that I'm yeah. building. What are those like really key hires that like this person needs to be sharp? They need to be top, you know, the best, best in the business. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people make a mistake here, right? They use, they try to find one person uh, to kind of fit all these roles. Right. And um, again, I hear this a lot. Well, that, that guy's a unicorn. Uh, we're not going to find that guy, right. Um, an artist and a scientist or whatever. Um, and my immediate thought, whenever I hear that, or, or whenever I'm like, man, this, this role is really hard to fill. It's often two or three roles, right. Combined into one. So two to three people. Um, the first thing I think you need is somebody that really understands the business, the business problems, and can solution it, right? Whether they are technical or not, right? Um, and then secondly, you probably need kind of a good architect that can outline, you know, okay, here's the solution, here's how we're gonna uh, design it, right? And then thirdly, 
uh, project management is also key, right? Just again, let's go back to the custom home building analogy. If I don't have somebody with a checklist saying this is going to be, this material is going to be on, on this date, this is going to be done this date, these guys are coming here, there, where, wherever, whenever, uh, we're going to, we're just going to be in bad shape, right? So, um, now today, what you see, um, if you've ever heard the term agile, kind of for the last 20 years, people have been using agile. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, but kind of the, um, well, I, I kind of want to start a competing okay. philosophy that's called sure. clunky that I'm like, we, we do clunky development, right? Like who wants, yeah. who wants to raise their hand and say, no, I do development, but I'm not agile. So is it just something that everybody uses now? Yeah, they say they use it, right? And um, a lot of time, you know, especially the bigger the organization, the process is just get in the way, fill out the form to get the form. Um, <laughs> you know, I've I mentioned kind of the staff augmentation piece. I've been waiting at least six weeks to get even some kind of paperwork and an email address assigned for like five different people, right? So it's just part of a big organization right um and so, so that's that to be clear so you're in in what devry factory does you're consulting for enterprise level clients some you know publicly traded companies or, or big companies correct some of that bureaucracy you're dealing with that doesn't really relate to the technology that's kind of just normal big company yeah. so yeah. are they pay are they are they paying like a big company tax like are they paying like a corporate debt like to get anything done can you look at that and be like, hey, as an entrepreneur, I think that's a million dollar project, but it's going to take them $10 million because they're a big, slow, clunky corporation. That's that's pretty much the sales pitch, right? Um, at least as far as I'm concerned, you know, McKinsey or Accenture that comes in um, is going to have like a much higher price. But uh, kind of my angle is that's going to take you $10 million and probably 10 years. I can do it for 1 million in one year, right? Or whatever. Um, just because I can, I'm on the outside looking in, I can kind of move around some of the internal bureaucracy, right? From a, from a project base. Now, when you're talking actually placing people as contractors for the company, that's, that's a different story. Now you're, you're in, in the deep water with, uh, with the red tape. So now you're in sourcing. So yeah. I guess that at, at the enterprise level, that's also a strategic decision, right? Do you want to hire within, build it within? It's probably going to be slower. It's going to take longer but then you have internal team members who kind of understand the project and know how to manage it versus I can hire this outside gun. They can come in and, you know, boom, it's done in six months, but we don't necessarily understand it. Is that correct? Yeah. It's usually an internal battle, right? IT says we don't need anybody. We can build that internally. Right. And not realizing that. Yeah. For a lot more money and a lot slower. Right. And then, Usually the the business side of the organization will say, yeah, but we need, you know, a real kind of partner level consultant to to drive, let's say a $10 million project, right? We need, we need to drive that home, not just throw it in a queue somewhere and have it done. And, and we need to be able to move fast. So, um, so yeah, that's, it's generally an internal political battle, right? From what I've seen um, on who's doing what. And, and just, you know, again, February 21st here, just in the last four weeks, we've seen huge amounts of tech layoffs, right? And and everybody across the board, I think every kind of company's budget is getting slashed. 
uh, for and you know hire new hires have stopped right but what that leaves is uh, and it's, it's so slow to bring anybody on as a um, a W-2 employee, but that does leave budgeting room for contractors, right? Because they still need people. So they've just shifted it to kind of um, uh, an OPEX type of a model, right? Where they can hire contractors, feed them in and out and and uh, and kind of move the ball forward. It still takes a long time to get them onboarded, as I said, but, um, you know, it's it's an approach, right? So. It's it's so interesting because I'm thinking back to news headlines of literally two years ago, less than two years ago of bidding wars. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting. It's the tech sector. It's such a a roller coaster. But I, I guess I have the sense that if you're a good developer, a good technologist, you pretty much land on your feet that, because there's just this there's a, a structural generational uh, secular just shortage of technologists, yeah. of, of, of good people. So we've kind of talked about this enterprise level, the corporate level. Now I want to go to the private equity side. I mean, maybe we could even go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, right? You have the corporate enterprise level, and then maybe in the middle ground, you have private equity, you know, privately owned companies in that small to mid size, you know, technical, you know, the 5 million to 50 million revenue range. Right. And maybe even, you know, private equity towards the smaller end of that micro private equity companies with, you know, two, three, four, five million gross revenue all the way to your bootstrapped startup. So how does this whole picture, how does it change, you know, in broad strokes, how does it change once you move to the middle end of the spectrum? And then once you move to that bootstrapped end of the spectrum? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's start at kind of the, the bootstrap end because that's um, I'm, I'm pretty familiar in that area. And a lot of the podcasts uh, that we hear today just really cover kind of, at least from the technical angle, you know, the latest and greatest startup out of Silicon Valley, the 27 year old guy that uh, raised a hundred million dollars or whatever. And that's um, that's never really been. Uh, my experience and, uh, you know, I, um, I, I've avoided that, right. I've always liked um, cash in hand rather than, um, you know, taking somebody else's money and then, you know, having a lottery ticket on whether that succeeds or not. Um, not, not that that model's bad. That is for some people, it works for some people, um, you know, but I, I, you know, I've never done that. So, you know, just kind of my, my previous background a little bit, I have started probably, I mean, you know, I can't even count the number of businesses, let's say 15, 20, um, you know, you've been involved in some of them, Andy, as, uh, as you mentioned, we, we've been friends for a long time and kind of think the same, uh, you know, honestly, most of those have failed, right? And I think that's what, you know, a lot of people will not admit to that, you know, it's like the, the guy that's the professional gambler. Oh, I made all this money. I made all this money. Yeah. Tell us about your losses. Right. Mm -hmm. um, oh, okay. Right. Um, but on the, I would say this is a little different from gambling though, because in gambling, you're probably about equally likely to lose a hundred bucks or gain a hundred bucks at blackjack. But what yep. you're talking about with the bootstrap startup, you could put 10 K in five different startups and the first four lose the 10 K but then the fifth one scales to a million or $5 million. So I do think it's a little different where you say, yeah, it's it's that power law, right? With VC, but it's on a different scale. A lot of these startups have failed, but you've also been involved 
with a couple incredible successes in your career, Brian. And those are sure. more more than made up for the other. Let's I guess we can call them failures, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's you know learning opportunities. I've mer- I've learned more in those in those ones that didn't succeed than than anything else, right? Um, and, and one thing I've discovered is that um, you know you're right. As opposed to gambling, your best investment is in yourself, right? Um, whether that's in your education, whether that's, uh, betting on your idea versus just throwing it in the stock market or, uh, or retirement plan or, or going to the casino, uh, you're better off taking that money and betting on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, so generally kind of the bootstrap situation, it is, it is your own money, right. Or, um, you know, if you have, uh, some rich friends or some doctor friends, uh, or family, right? It's, it's their money. So um, you, you just can't run for two years at a loss and, um, and, and be okay, right? You kind of have to start generating revenue now. So generally what I recommend it in that angle is, um, you know, starting small, right? Uh, the lean approach, lean is a whole system if you're not familiar with it, but basically um, do some small iterations, test it, validate it, come back. So in our scenario here, what we would do is we would um, get a designer, start with some designs, right? Maybe it's a, um, uh, a website that lists properties, right? Um, so we get a, a designer, we uh, mock out everything that happens. The, you know, if I click on this, it goes to this page. Here's how it looks. Here's the branding, um, you know, and... Uh, we, we go through a basic business analysis. Uh, how is this different? What's a differentiator? How are we going to drive traffic to this? How are we going to market it? How are we going to make money? All of it. Who's the team, right? Um, and then we validate that idea. So, um, you know, we can, uh, I, I heard one story that was great. These guys were trying to sell wine, right? Or they had an idea for a wine website. Well, they went to the Twitter, they, they made a fake Photoshopped page with a buy button, posted it on Twitter, and then we're able to track how many clicks the buy button got, right? They they went to somebody that took a picture of the wine and then they sent them this link and said, buy this here, uh, you know, and each one got five clicks or whatever. Okay, so that cost them literally less than $100 to do, right? And now they've validated their idea. So now they go to the next step is let's make a, a basic website that, that actually does this, right? Um, so one of the mistakes, unfortunately, that I've made several times and that I advise everybody against is uh, don't go and cl- get a million dollars, $500,000 from your family, friends, build something over a two-year timeline, release it as a, as a big bang release, and hope for the best. Uh, you, you know, you're in for a world of hurt if you do that. Get traction, customers, each step of the way, um, keep growing, right? So, you know, if you are a lot of our audience, you know, in financial services, asset management, fund managers, financial advisors, all kinds of business owners that are not technologists, right? And I'm not a technologist, even yep. though my degree is MIS. Trust me, that's I'm not a te- that I got that degree to learn learn that I I I wasn't a technologist, I guess. Yeah. So how does a non-technologist conceptually we're not talking about the corporate world. We're talking more in the private equity to micro private equity, privately owned business, bootstrap startup, that world. 
how does a non-technologist then leverage technology? You know, if, if you have relatively small budget, which for a lean, a lean startup, bootstrap startup might be 10K a year for private equity firm, their technology budget might be, you know, $800,000 a year or whatever and on up. But that still isn't at the level where I'm going to have a tech team with, you know, 20 seats in it or, or whatever. It's it's going to be kind of a micro team. So how do you even approach that if you're not a subject matter expert? You know, are there are there ways to do that and do it right? Or are you just, you know, are you just totally hosed if you don't have a Brian Tebow that you can call to get their advice? Yeah, I mean, you need to find good people, right, across kind of the board, across the the spectrum of whatever you're trying to do. Uh, you know, just as I wouldn't go try to build my own house in the woods, um, I, I highly um, discourage anybody from just kind of taking this on, right? Yeah. Um, there are people that can guide you, you know, everybody probably has a friend that built an app or something like that, I don't know, but um, at least give you some pointers. Um, so... To back to your question, how can somebody kind of utilize technology? Maybe they're a small um, kind of two-person, three-person PE firm. Um, I, you know, I guess um, kind of the first thing I would look at if it, if it were me, um, something now that uh, I realized when I was now that I'm 40, and I think uh, everybody starts to realize as they get older and, and younger people, people tend to not put enough value on is uh your time right mm -hmm. uh your time is just so so valuable and rare um rare is not the right word but um no it is rare it's a scarce it's, it's a finite yeah, yeah yeah so you know i think i first step was i would look at technology to kind of automate um some tasks that uh are manual and repetitive right that's that's kind of the nature of technology uh, you could look at something like chat GPT to uh, just to answer some emails or, or you know, write a, a quick um, outline of uh, a marketing post. Right. A lot of guys, you, you know, you hear um, kind of get off on saying, oh, I, I take I'm the, the, the guy I take out the trash. I do all this. Don't. Right. I mean, that's that's terrible. Your time is much more valuable than that. So you have to start outsourcing um, those smaller Sometimes, you know, you don't have the money or, or, or the personnel to do that, but, um, you know, you, you got to move your, but, but, you know, on that note though, I mean, it, I feel like with most business tasks, there's software at almost every price point, right. Enterprise Correct. level versus lean startup. One thought that I kind of had though, cause Brian, what, what you're talking about is leveraging technology to get process wins and operational wins. Yep. But I also talk with a lot of asset managers who they have some sort of investment strategy and they're using technology to enhance that strategy or you know maybe to uncover opportunities whether it's in the you know publicly traded markets or maybe it's in MSAs if it's like a multifamily fund they're doing you know machine learning to 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 look at different variables where ground up development might be profitable. But my guess and I want you to tell me if this, if my hunch is right or wrong. As as an entrepreneur myself, one thing that I've kind of learned is the best way to do it lean that has worked for me, at least, has been if I can get as much cookie cutter software as I can that already exists, it may not do the per job perfectly. If it gets me 95% of the way there and it's an existing product, I'm much better served by taking that product. And maybe if I do something custom, 
you know, adding that little 5% customization on top of that existing product versus saying, well, this all needs to all be proprietary. You know, yeah. I, I don't know what you, what to call that. Is it the duct tape method? You know, it's just rearranging existing pieces and maybe just a little bit of customization versus trying to build the whole stack yourself from scratch. Yeah, that's a common, I mean, you're absolutely right. And that's a common mistake people make is right. Our, our accounting is so different. We can't use QuickBooks. We got to, we got to use something else. Right. And now they're down a, a rabbit hole. You're right. Use the off the shelf stuff. If you can uh, pay the, the $19 a month. And again, if you're, if you're that tight on cash, uh, where, oh man, that's really expensive. Well, in, in my mind, it's, it's really not the cost. It's always the value it provides and the, and the, um, you know, uh, time is, is, um, what's the word fungible, right? You can trade it for, uh, for money, right. And, and your time is just so much more valuable than that. So, um, so that's kind of the first step down, down the auto or down the, the technology path is, uh, automate what you can, right. The pro get those process wins out of the way. Um, and then when we talk about, you know, what else can we do with technology, um, now we're talking about uh, value add, right? And so this is kind of what I was saying earlier. The first thing is generally what the CEO sees as a cost center at the enterprise level is those automation type stuff. It costs me a lot of money. I write big checks every month for that. Number two is the revenue driver. And that's just what a lot of people miss. And it's it's hard to come up with, right? Is that a is that a, an app? Maybe it's a website that lists properties. Um, well, and back to like the private equity funds that I'm thinking of, and there's a couple of them, they're, they're using technology in both those ways, you know, kind of, the, I might call it almost defense, like the process wins, like, yeah, I'm sure they're using, you know, accounting software and this software, that package software, but then they're also using machine learning or some sort of algorithm to help them uncover investment opportunities. And to me, that's offense because not only number one, I'm going to achieve higher returns for my fund because I'm leveraging technology with machine learning to uncover these opportunities. Number two, now that's a point of, of differentiation for me uh, in my marketing that I can talk about how our fund is, is leveraging technology. So to your point, now it's enhancing revenue, right? It's not just a cost center. Yeah, correct. Um, you know, and I, I think, uh, again, just a, a trap here or a pitfall is a lot of people will try to you know, and specifically kind of the, the algorithmic stuff. Um, uh, again, I, very few people do it well. Right. Um, and it is competitive, like you said, right. And, um, you know, people try to automate things that they can't do manually and then you end up with a bigger mess. Right. So maybe, maybe that's a scenario where, Hey, I have this great idea to, to help uncover, um, these investment opportunities, right. Um, We'll do it manually, right? First, see mm -hmm. if it works. You know, find three that are winners, and now, now I have the recipe. Versus just uh, throwing a hundred different algorithms out there, having machine learning run through it, and and maybe it's a win, right? You know, people have been doing that in in op the algorithmic trading and and options, the options world, in the stock market world uh, for for years at this point, and you know they're just playing against other algorithmic traders, so. Um, it's like I said, it's competitive and it's uh, people will tell you their wins, but it's easy to dump a lot of money there too. So again, if you have a manual system that great, that works and uncovers all these opportunities, great. Now let's, 
let's throw some automation at it, right? Maybe that's machine learning. Maybe that's uh, just simple if then logic, right? But um, but yeah. So Brian, it it, it, it it almost it almost sounds to me like you're you're I mean you're a technologist, right? And and you know how to develop software, but it almost sounds to me like like you're saying there there needs to be a really high hurdle to develop custom software. So number number one, use technology to get the easy wins, you know, to, to automate things. Number two, yeah. if you have an idea, do that idea manually to your point about testing and iterating, do that idea manually, prove out the story that that idea actually created value. Even if it's you clicking on a Google spreadsheet for seven hours or a day for right. a month, do it manually, prove out the story. Did it work? Did that, did that enhance, you know, if, if you were reviewing data to make a, a, some sort of private equity investment, did that data pay off only when, when it's very clear, like, yeah, this, this actually did create value. Are you developing software? Because I mean, if, if I can read between the lines, the implication is like, look, developing custom software is really hard. It's really expensive and it's really time intensive. So make sure you have a darn good reason before you go down that path is is that fair that's fair that's it, it is really expensive people underestimate that a lot too right especially kind of in that ai ml world um but it, you know again this is i see this all the time people will spend 700 hours a thousand man hours building a piece of software when well how often do you actually do that well you know 10 hours a year right so, so what are we even doing here? Right. Like, um, you, you know, it's just, you got to think it through. Right. It, and again, the, the worst thing that you could possibly do is automate a bad manual process. Mm. Then you have a bad automated process. So, um, so, so Brian, so, it seems, it seems to me like a passion for you or like a theme I'm hearing over and over and over is looking at those processes. It's not that it's not really about the technology that to you, the technology is is your tool belt, but the goal is really building value and operational efficiency using using technology like a, a, a surgeon would stitch something, not just firing technology in every direction as much as possible. You nailed it. Um, yeah, it's uh, technology is a tool. That's all. It doesn't. There's no uh, easy button. There's no like uh, a lot of people think it's magically going to solve some problem no there's a process behind that right and then we and then we automate and apply technology on top of it so there's no there's no magic there right um yeah you nailed it and and given your you know what dev refactory does and you know you're helping these a lot of times very large clients even these larger companies with huge budgets they're facing challenges. They're facing complex things that they're saying, well, we can't even, you know, we can't even necessarily address this internally. We need to bring in the outside help. So there's just, it's interesting to me that, you know, you're really the first pure technologist that I've had on the show, but I, I wanted to have somebody who was a technologist on the show because this is a, a huge part of investing in a huge part of the private equity yep. landscape. But it's almost, I almost hear you like, steering people away from it like it's powerful but you need to understand what you're getting into and i'm like i'm thinking well that makes sense that that would be brian's perspective because people pay you huge amounts of money to clean up their technology messes right and you're you're always probably kind of coming in when there's a mess right otherwise you, they wouldn't be calling you 
or there's a problem to solve, right? Again, let's go back to the, the custom uh, home builder, right? The client says, hey, I want a house. What? Like, you know, what do you want? I don't know. Um, do you think you're going to get a, a great house in that case? No, you're going to have a mess, right? Um, so mm-hmm. just it's there. It, it's, uh, it just needs to be thought out, right? And that's why you see Accenture, McKinsey, ThoughtWorks come in because it's not just uh, it's not just throwing programmers at something, right? It's, uh, it's the business solution. And that's what's important, um, you know, and, and that's why companies hire, you know, again, younger, I, I always used to think, well, why, why would you pay Accenture millions of dollars a month for this? Um, and it's really because they've identified a, a business has identified a 10 to $100 million business problem and they don't have a, any kind of internal stakeholder that has the capacity to handle it, right? So they bring in an Accenture. Um, they say, hey, here's this $100 million business problem. Figure it out, right? And here's, you know, bring in resources to get it done. And that's kind of their line of business or whatever. So, uh, yeah, so... Your, to your point, you can't just start hacking away and expect to get good results. So. I love that. I love I yeah. love that we finally had a technologist on the show and he's telling us, guys, business first, then technology. You know, business first. I just that's a that's a really good message. And yeah. you know, Brian, I can't thank you enough for sharing your insights. I mean, there's just so many um pitfalls with this. And yep. I think it really, what, what I appreciate about you and about the way you approach this is the top down thinking, right? Like you, you'll notice this whole conversation, we haven't talked about a single programming language or even a single specific technology, because for you, it's, it's not about the programming language or the specific technology or this kind of server or that kind of database or whatever. It's that top down you know, CEO level business, business problem, business strategy, revenue opportunity. That's the thinking that should drive all of this. That's the thing that should drive it, you know, and in a, in a, a startup, right. I have some new app that I want to do. Okay. You know, what is the process? What problem are we solving? Who are the people behind it? Um, you know, how do we make money again, all of that. Right. And then, you know, we'll figure out, is it, Ruby or Python or JavaScript or whatever later, right? That's inconsequential to the, mm-hmm. to the business problem at hand. So, um, yeah, man, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we could have gone deep on, on really any of those topics, but, uh, yeah. I'm well, hoping- Brian, let's, let's save that for a future episode. There's yeah. no reason we can't have you back on the show, but before I let you go, I have to ask where can our audience go to learn more about Devry factory and your services for enterprise clients? Yeah, sure. You can go to refactory.dev. Um, we have a website up there. I believe there's a contact form on there. Um, email it. You'll be hooked up with a sales guy. If uh, you know, I'm happy to to chat with whoever. If you have a WordPress site or uh, or uh, you know, you're the Fortune 100 company, let's uh, let's talk and uh, yeah. So. Absolutely. I'll be sure to link to that website in our show notes, which are always available at altsdb.com slash podcast. Brian, thanks again for coming on the show today. All right. Thanks for having me, Andy. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review. 
to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.